Today is Monday, October 10th. The title for our devotional is Our Anxious World, Our Anxious Soul. In this campaign, we're talking about how we can live the way of Jesus in a polarized world. This week, I want to focus on anxiety as something that living in a polarized world does to us. According to psychiatry.org, anxiety disorders are the most common of mental disorders and affect nearly 30% of adults at some point in their lives. According to the World Health Organization, the pandemic brought about a 25% increase in the prevalence of anxiety symptoms. When asked if you had experienced anxiety symptoms in the last week, Americans reached a high in November of 2020, with over 37% of Americans reporting anxiety symptoms. Today, it's back down to about 30% of Americans. From my understanding, and I say my understanding because I'm not, a men- I'm not a mental health professional, anxiety is a natural response to stress. When we encounter a stressor, we experience what has been called the fight-or-flight response. This is a natural response and can be a good thing. We've all heard stories of moms doing incredible things to save their child in distress. However, our bodies are not meant to exist in this state of stress response permanently, as many of us are doing. Stressors from work, home life, relationships, social media, global events, etc. are ever-present in our modern technological world. Our hyper-awareness of everything going on in the world comes with a cost. As we talked about last week, those who benefit from a polarized society use our anxieties to draw us closer to their cause. This anxiety, even low-grade anxiety, causes erosion beneath the surface in our inner life. Gordon MacDonald likened this to a sinkhole in his book, Ordering Your Inner World. He writes, Sinkholes occur, scientists say, when underground streams drain away during seasons of drought, causing the ground at the surface to lose its underlying support. Suddenly, everything simply caves in, leaving people with a frightening suspicion that nothing, not even the earth beneath their feet, is trustworthy. There are many people whose lives are like one of Florida's sinkholes. It's likely that at one time or another, many of us have perceived ourselves to be on the verge of a sinkhole-like cave-in. In the feelings of numbing fatigue, a taste of apparent failure, or the bitter experience of disillusionment about goals or purposes, we may have sensed something within us about to give way. We feel we are just a moment from a collapse that will threaten to sweep our entire world into a bottomless pit. Sometimes there seems to be little that can be done to prevent such a collapse. What is wrong? End quote. Perhaps you've felt like this before. I certainly have. Perhaps you feel like this now. My point here is not to give you anxiety by talking about the state of anxiety in our culture. That would be an ironic twist and epic failure on my part. My point is that this life of anxiety is not the abundant life Jesus calls us to. Instead, Jesus calls us to be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. Case in point, I just picked up a book sitting on my shelf called Good and Beautiful and Kind by Rich Velotis. The back of the book reads, Experience a life of calm presence within this divided, anxious culture. End quote. Polarization often goes hand in hand with anxiety. The way of Jesus is to resist the anxiety and division and experience a life of calm presence. For additional content today, uh, I've, I've included it in the devotional page, but it's from uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. In it, he, he gives us kind of a, a checkup, uh, a way that we can rate ourselves on 10 indicators of a hurried and anxious soul. So I'm just going to read through all of these, and it's going to take me a bit. So get comfortable and rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 on all of these. If you need to reference them again, you can either rewind this or go to the devotional page and read through it on your own. 
So the first one, first indicator that he gives us is irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily. Little normal things irk you. People have to tiptoe around your ongoing low-grade negativity, if not anger. Word of advice from a fellow eggshell expert. To self-diagnose, don't look at how you treat a colleague or a neighbor. Look at how you treat those closest to you. Your spouse, children, roommate, etc. Number two, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email to set you off, or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk and ruin your day. Minor things quickly escalate to major emotional events. Depending on your personality, this might show up as anger, or nitpickiness, or anxiety, or depression, or just tiredness. Point is, the ordinary problems of life this side of Eden have a disproportionate effect on your emotional well-being and relational grace. You can't seem to roll with the punches. Rate yourself. Hypersensitivity, irritability. Number three, restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. You gave Sabbath a try, and you hate it. You read scripture, but find it boring. You give quiet time with God, but can't focus your mind. You go to bed early, but toss and turn with anxiety. You watch TV, but simultaneously check your phone, fold laundry, and get into a spat on Twitter. Uh, parentheses, okay, maybe just answer an email. Your mind and body are hyped on the drug of speed. And when you don't get the next dopamine fix, they shiver. Number four, workaholism, or just nonstop activity. You just don't know when to stop, or worse, you can't stop. Another hour, another day, another week. Your drugs of choice are accomplishment and accumulation. These could show up as careerism or just as obsessive house cleaning and errand running. Result, you fall prey to sunset fatigue, where by day's end, you have nothing left to give to your spouse, children, or loved ones. They get the grouchy, curt, overtired you, and it's not pretty. Number five, emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel another's pain, or your own pain for that matter. Empathy is a rare feeling for you. You just don't have the time for it. You live in this kind of constant fatigue. Remember, be rating yourself as we go. Six, out of order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity and calling. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. Your life is reactive, not proactive. You're busier than ever before, yet still feel like you don't have time for what really matters to you. Months often go by, or years, or God forbid, maybe it's been a decade and you realize you still haven't gotten around to all the things you said that were most important in your life. Number seven, lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics, eight hours of sleep a night, daily exercise, healthy home-cooked food, minimal stimulants, margin. You gain weight, get sick multiple times a year, regularly wake up tired, don't sleep well, live off the four horsemen of the industrialized food apocalypse, (laughs) caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and alcohol. Well put. It's creative. Number eight, escapist behaviors. When we're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, we each turn to our distraction of choice. Overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at porn. Name your preferred cultural narcotic. Narcotics are good, healthy even, on an occasion and short-term basis when they shield us from unnecessary pain. But when we abuse them to escape from reality, they eat us alive. You find yourself stuck in the negative feedback loop of socially acceptable addictions. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. If you're anything like me, when you get over busy, the things that are truly life-giving for your soul are the first to go rather than your first to go to, such as quiet time in the morning, scripture, prayer, Sabbath, worship on Sunday, a meal with your community, and so on. 
Because in an ironic catch-22, the things that make for rest actually take a bit of emotional energy and self-discipline. When we get over-busy, we get over-tired. And when we get over-tired, we don't have the energy or discipline to do what we need most for our souls. Repeat. The cycle begins to feed off its own energy. So instead of life with God, we settle for life with a Netflix subscription and a glass of cheap red wine. A very poor substitute. Not because time wasted on TV is the great Satan, but because we rarely get done binge-watching anything, or posting to social media, or overeating Five Guys burgers and fries, and feel awake and alive from the soul outward, rested, refreshed, and ready for a new day. We delay the inevitable, an emotional crash. And, as a consequence, number 10 is isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. On those rare times when you actually stop to pray, and by pray, I don't mean ask God for stuff. I mean sit with God in the quiet. You're so stressed and distracted that your mind can't settle down long enough to enjoy the Father's company. Same as same with your friends. When you're with them, you're always with your phone or a million miles away in your mind, running down the to-do list. And even when you're alone, you come face-to-face with the void that is your soul and immediately run back to the familiar groove of busyness and digital distraction. So again, rate yourself on those 10 to determine how hurried and anxious your soul is.